afternoon, everybody, and welcome to today's edition of the Two State Show with myself, Mark C, and my co-host, Mark H. Hi there, Mark. How are you? Um, I have to admit, man, I was feeling a bit uh, down um, last night, but obviously today's a new day, and we come back stronger. We come back stronger, but um, I hope everybody else isn't too down, and I hope that all the listeners are taking care of one another, and... Staying safe, keep them well. Absolutely right. And just remind everybody, you can catch us every Thursday, 1 until 3 p.m. on Fiesta 95 FM in Southampton and via online radio box.com. And also, you can contact us via our email address, the Two States Podcast Show at Outlook.com, for our podcast or our radio broadcast version of the show. So, coming up for you today in the first half, the Two States review of Saints versus Aston Villa and Man United versus Saints. Saints Club news, which includes all of the Saints ins and outs of the transfer window. So, just a few words from our sponsors, as they as the saying goes, and we'll be right back for the Two Saints review of Saints nil. Aston Villa 1. Right, welcome back, everybody. So, the two Saints review of Saints nil, Aston Villa 1. Saints suffer Villa defeat. Hassan Hootel, we deserved more. And Armstrong, we need to start picking up results. Yeah, you're not kidding, Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> right, starting with Saints suffer Villa defeat. And, um, oh, it was um, a bit flat and a bit galling, Mark, to say the least, wasn't it? it? It was a bit flat. I, um, it was a difficult one, mate. I mean, the thing is, is, and, much as, you know, we said stuff in relation to right-backs, full-backs and everything else, you know, it was disappointing to see, you know, um, James Ward-Prowse starting in a, in the right-back role. Um, I just sort of, sort of sit there and I think to myself, it, it was a case of me sitting there and thinking, we're going back to round pegs and square holes. And the thing about round pegs and square holes is that, you know, when Ralph was doing it before, we had a downturn in in terms of results. Because yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm a great believer in that you put round pegs and round holes. So, you know, even, even, if, even if Valerie isn't at his best or Vokin's, you know, isn't at his best... I always sit there and say, play the player that plays in those positions. Don't, don't, and don't use one of your better players. You know, don't use him as a right back because that's not where he's effective. Everybody knows that we lose something as soon as we move James from the middle of the park. The thing is, if you haven't got your starting choice, choice of fullback, then the easiest solution is to go with three centre-halves. We've done it before, and we could have done that against Villa quite easily. And I actually think we would have been more of a threat if we'd actually gone with a back three rather than a flat four. Um, and obviously the flat four didn't work at all. And I just think you could have played a, a central three. You could have had Bertrand, Stevens, and Bednarek. Bertrand on the left, Stevens on the right, Bednarek in the middle. Bertrand's played centre-half. Jack Stevens is naturally a centre-half anyway, but plays better on the right. I think he'd actually be better at right back at the moment, to be fair. But anyway, um, I just think we would have been more of a threat with a back three. And I think going into the following game after that, which we'll get to later, same thing again. It was about the formation. Um, formation. I think given that we had this issue with the fullbacks, I would have gone with three at the back. Because I think as an attacking unit, Saints are a far better team attacking than they are defensively. As good as our defence has been, 
we're a far better unit as an attacking unit. Although, having said that, the contradiction to that is the fact we haven't scored from eight and playing eight and nine games. So, it's, you know, you can't really get your ducks in a row if you're the Saints manager at the moment. It's a bit no, of a problem, isn't it? And no, I mean, it's not out by the fact we've, we've benefited from VAR loads of times. And at the moment, it is well and truly biting us in the backside, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have to we have to talk about. It. I mean, the main incident we're talking about is the Danny Ings off offside. I can't even remember whether it was he'd scored the goal or 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 what it was, but yeah, I think it was the off the offside it he scored in the build up to and scoring. I'm sat there, and you know, even because I don't react the same way you do, yeah. listeners. Mark gets very irritated. When he when he's seeing blatant what he sees as blatant biased officiating. Poor officiating. That, that's not even biased. That's poor. what it is. That's what it is. You know, I, I agree with that. You know, it is that's how I see it. But but I'm much more reserved because I always sit there and go, it's a hard job. Right? Yeah. It's- but, but it's kind of like what Matt Letizia says, you know, and you know, he thought, and I'm the, I'm of the same opinion. He thought that by bringing in the technology, it was going to improve the referees' performance and help them. And at the end of the day, everything was going to be about the right decision rather than any bias that may be going on. You know, and the thing is, is Mark. You know, I'm, I'm going to say this. I know we spoke about it off off air, but the thing is, is for me, there's nothing wrong with the technology because they're all, all the different countries are playing by the same rules. Yep. You know, in Germany, they don't seem to have this problem with the technology. So it must be the people that's using the technology and the people that are officiating in the games. Well, the thing is, you've got referees on the pitch, but you've also got referees that are the VAR official. Yeah, exactly. 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 And the thing is, is like, I mean, I've seen a suggestion that they should maybe have ex-pros on on the VAR panels, you know, which which may, maybe would be, you know, a better solution than just having official, you know, officials on the pitch and then officials in the VAR room. I agree, Mark, because in fairness, um, I've actually listened to Talk Sport. And one person I didn't think would ever come out in defence of Saints, of all people, Danny Mills, who came out quite in defence of Saints after the Man United game, which I was a bit surprised at. So maybe having ex-pros isn't a bad idea, because at least they know what they're looking for. But, however you said that, the rules at the moment are so convoluted and so confusing, nobody's got the faintest clue what they really are. And they're not sticking to the rules they started with at the end of the start of the season. They've changed since then, haven't they? And it's almost as though they changed the rules to suit... VAR, not just having a set of rules that should stand no matter what. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is, is like long gone are the days where you would take the your partner of whatever persuasion, yeah. right, and you're introducing them to football, yeah. right, you know, and you spend the ninety minutes explaining, you know, the offside yeah. rule to them because the way the way football has been. Certainly, even more this season than even last season when the VR was introduced. You know, I haven't got a clue what offside is anymore. I, I, I haven't got a clue even what constitutes a penalty anymore. You know, so oh, I mean, 
I'll be, I mean, I actually watched back the clip of David Luiz's red card last night, and he doesn't even touch the player. He's literally three feet from the player. He doesn't touch him. The player goes down, and it's a penalty, and he gets rigged. And I'm, he doesn't even touch the guy. It's even less of a penalty. You could argue it's even less of a penalty than the Jan Bagnerick, Jan Bednerick one that he apparently gave away. It's yeah, even we're, less. Not, we're not doing that <laughs> review yet, but I, I know what you're saying. The VAR is poor. And, and the decisions are poor, and the laws are poor. I mean, handball. Okay, handball for this season. They brought a new handball rule in for this season. Very clear rule. If the ball hits you on the arm, intentionally or otherwise, in the penalty area, it's a penalty. So when did they change that rule? Because they said intentionally or otherwise, if the ball strikes you on the arm in the penalty area, between your shoulder and your wrist, penalty. So when did they change that? I'm not a clue, mate. Not, not, I genuinely, I mean, you know, don't even start the conversation because like I tried to just explain to you, I don't know what constitutes a pen anymore. I don't know what constitutes handball anymore. I don't even know, you know, like I said, I don't know what the offside rule is anymore. I'm taking it was very simple. Matty Cash, clear handball, should have been a penalty, should have been a red card. No debate. It wasn't even up for debate. Letter of the law. By the letter of the law. Um, he should have gone. It was great goalkeeping. That's all I'm going to say. Brilliant goalkeeping. <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest and say, after reviewing, because you know I was non-committal when we watched it on Saturday night, but I haven't watched it back. I did sit there and think to myself, I wonder if he's ever thought about auditioning for the Harlem Globetrotters. Well, you the know? thing is as well, if you're in that position he was in and you're trying not to give a penalty away, you are going to stick your leg out, but you're going to shove your arm out of the way. You're going to stick yeah. your chest, your body, and your leg out as far as you can. You're not going to have your arm anywhere near it. As his leg came out, his arm comes up. No, I know. I know. Not in no, that position. I, Even then, I, I, he says, by the letter of the law, if your arm's in an unnatural position, it's a penalty. So on two counts, it's a penalty. But there you go. No, 100%. Um, I don't know the rules as well. As well anyway, said, but, we've, cov- we've covered the key issues. The only, the only other thing I would say to Ralph is, please just don't play James Ward. I, I don't care what injury crisis you've got, but please don't play James Ward-Prowse at right back. And, it, and if you do have a right back available, even if he's coming from the kindergarten squad of Saints, play him. Play him. Yeah, and I think that sums everything up. Nicely, and just in closing, the only thing for me to say is Ralph Hassan Hootle saying we deserve more, and Stuart Armstrong saying we need to start picking up results. Totally agree with both of them on that one. Yeah, um, and that brings us to the end of our review of Saints versus Aston Villa. The only thing I would say very quickly, Mark, is I think we were good enough for the point, but yeah. I don't think we were good, good enough for the win. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. And that sums our review of Saints versus Aston Villa up very nicely. We're going to take a small break now. When we come back, two Saints review of Manchester United 9, Saints nil. I can't even bear to read that. It's terrible. How depressing. Right, we'll be right back. It's the Two Marks, CNH, on the Two Saints Show, Fiesta 95FM. Right, welcome back, everybody. So, the Two Saints review of Saints versus Manchester United. And no, I'm not repeating the scoreline again. I've said it once, I won't be saying it again. So, anyway... Nine man Saints, well beaten. Hatton Hootle, we will stand up again. And James Will Prowse, we have to pick ourselves up. Uh, yeah, you do need to pick yourselves up. We will stand up again. Well, hopefully, you'll be standing up from the start of the game because that'd be quite helpful. 
Alex Jankovic, take note. <laughs> Poor man. Right. Um, so right. anyway, so it's nine man Saints Mark, well beaten by Man United. Um, I would say not only well beaten by Man United, but also well beaten by VAR and Mike Dean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't disagree with that, mate. Although I will say before we start, Alexander Yankovic, I think a bit of a rush of blood to the head. Obviously, the instructions were don't give anything away early doors. I think he took that a little bit too literally. Shocking tackle on Scott McTominay. Being a Saints fan, even being a Saints fan, I can't argue Alexander. You deserve to read for that. I'm sorry. It's a poorly timed challenge. It was a poor challenge. And you did actually leave stub marks on his thigh. So that's how high your foot was. Um, although, if you watch the replay back, McTominay's foot's actually quite high as well. So I don't think there was any intent there. Um, I think for most people, it was more an issue of the fact that Jankovic didn't look overly concerned. He looked quite nonplussed when he got sent off. Yeah. But I would, that uh, may have been because he didn't know what to say to the manager or his teammates. Because it's, it's a terrible start for your debut, isn't it? Especially after you've said, well, I want to transfer out the club because I'm not getting minutes. You get your opportunity and then you get sent off after two minutes. Not exactly a great start on your debut, is it, poor lad? 100%. And, you know, he's a youngster, he will learn from it, but... I'm, I'm going to try and, you know, I, I, I want to give my take on things. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to try and not fuss, you know, not concentrate too much yeah. on the actual sending off. Yeah. Suffice to say that, <clears throat> you know, we're away at Manchester United, which is difficult place for Saints to go anyway. You know, um, and someone gets sent off, you know, before we're, we're even two minutes into the game. Um, uh, you know, it was, you know, I've seen people say it was a poor challenge. It was worse than that. I mean, he's just gone running into the bloke. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I said to you off air, you know, as soon as, soon as you're down the 10 men, you know, and if you're playing one of the top sides in the country, you know, you're pushing a boulder up a hill. Um, the the only the only real criticism I would have, Mark, is, you know, as soon as you're going down the 10 men, you know, are you not better? You know, OK, we tried to still play football. That's commendable. But as soon as soon as you start seeing goals being run in, okay, say at three 0 for example, right? Do you not then, as a manager, turn around and say to yourself, okay, we're now in a situation where it's damage damage limitation, you know? And, yeah. You know, I've got I've got to say that that just wasn't, you know, it didn't seem to me like it was on the agenda from Ralph. And that, that's not a criticism because there's, there's other mitigating circumstances to why we're here. And and last night's performance was in no way as bad as the the 9-0. There, I'm, I've said it again, but 9-0 lost to Leicester the previous season. Okay? Last night's performance was nowhere as bad as that. You know? But... Um, I, I just think, you know, in relation to, you know, if it's ever looking like it's going to be that one-sided again and you've had someone sent off early doors, you know, do, do something defensively. Try, try and get a more defensive mindset so that the opposition isn't running in 
that many goals. Um, the only the the only other thing that I want to say is is that again, I don't I don't really get too too down on officials. It's a tough job, you know. We said about the technology and everything else, but I've just got to say that sending off and the subsequent penalty of Jan Bednarek is an absolute disgrace. And, you know, it's good to see that the club's appealing it. It's also good to see in relation to the officials that, you know, Saints have requested that, you know, for the foreseeable future or definitely in the short term, you know, we're not seeing Lee Mason or or Mike Dean, you know, referee Saints again for a while, which... Again, you know, I also think that that helps to diffuse any sort of situation that there might be, be even between those officials, you know, and the players and the Saints players. So, you know, I'm fully supporting the club in both of those things. And yeah, but it, again, it just, you know, some of some of the officiating again last night, it just it just smacked of big club bias. And I and I genuinely thought when we brought VAR in, because there's no, like I keep saying, there's nothing wrong with the technology. I just thought that when we when we brought VAR in, we were going to be able to do away with all this, all this sort of you know favouring the bigger clubs. But it doesn't seem to be like that at all. Well, all I'm going to say, Mark, I'm actually going to read a statement that, for me, sums everything up in the game that's wrong at the moment, including the VAR decisions that went against us. No penalty, in my opinion, for Jan Bednarek. No sending off. Anthony Martial said it wasn't. Referee ignored him. He ignored what Jan Bednarek said when he said Martial said it wasn't a foul. Couldn't see it on the monitor. If you can't see it on the monitor as clear as it being clear, you don't give it. But anyway, so the statement is, and I'll tell you who obviously made this statement. This actually came from Mark Halsey former Premier League referee from 1999 to 2013, he actually stated, I've been in that situation when I've seen an incident and been told to say I've not seen it. To be fair to the FA, it's not them. It comes from within the PGMRL, so Professional Game Match Officials Limited. It doesn't stop there. We've been told to give a certain amount of corners or throw-ins, fouls, bookings, etc. Premier League is rife with spot fixing and bias towards certain clubs from the FA. Every referee in the Premier League could be in front of a court one day soon. And based on what we saw last night, I totally agree with that statement from Mark Halsey. Yeah, that, no, for me, so, summed it up beautifully. So do I, and that's that's why we agreed to read the statement yeah. out to me. And I, I don't think we even need to cover VAR anymore in relation to last night's result. I don't think um, we deserve to be on the end of that result. But and certain decisions played into that. And the Shea Adams offside. That, that, again, is another one that played into the hands of that result. I don't believe that was a what-the-scoreline-suggested sort of game. It wasn't. No, no, and it was no. very, very different to the Leicester game. And that Leicester game hurt. Last night's one, not as much. For no, very different Actually, no, you're quite very right to point that out. I know, I know that there may be other people out there within the same supporting fraternity and... You know they're losing their mind about it, but it did. You're right. It did. There's no way that hurt me as much as the Leicester result. Better. Anyway, remember something really important. The last time we got a result like this, it actually spurred us into life. We cut everything right back to basics, and we were a better team afterward. We'll do again. We'll rise again. It's what Saints do. Saints will rise again. They always do. They rose again in the eighties. They rose again in the nineties. They rose again in the two thousand. We always rise. So. 
bit like Lewis Hamilton says on the back of his helmet, still rise. We always do, to be fair. You know? Yeah, so I, mean, I mean, there is, there, is one thing, there is one thing that I want to point out, Mark, and I, I know it's slightly gone off piece here, but that last night, okay, I didn't have a problem with the lineup that Ralph decided to go with because he, his choices were limited. Let's be honest, right? You might you might have put an argument up for Redmond instead of um, Gineppo. You know that that would have been the only thing, right? But I think for in regards to Redmond, I think probably Ralph felt that Gineppo was more ready. You know, Redmond came on in the last game and looked to be struggling with the pace of it. You know, he didn't, he didn't, you know, when he, when he was getting the ball, he was giving the ball away a lot of the time or, or, you know, as I say, so that wasn't an issue. But what, what I would say is this, is that I don't know how you coach a person like Gineppo. You know, you might sit there and you go, okay, when we're in possession of the ball and he's attacking, that's when he's in at his best. But defensively, you just sit there and you think, oh, I don't care. I mean, Ralph Hasenhutl can have as many one-on-one sessions with him as he likes, right? But he's never going to improve the defensive... Um, well, there's an, it's a non, non-existent defensive to, ideas game, right? I just, I just want to say that, this, right? Yeah. I'm now beginning to question the fact that the club, and you know, and I, you know, I'm a Ralph supporter, but the, I just want to say this, okay? You know, we spent 13 million, 13 and a half million pounds on Gineppo. And just remember, people, the sale of my target helped to facilitate that move for Saints in the transfer market. And you just think to yourself, for me, it's it, it would have been an... I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And probably, all I'll say is, probably when I was at Brighton and I was Sheffield United, I'm thinking, Mr. Gennaro, oh, what a pair. But when your back's against the wall, and, you know, it's going to be against the wall on Saturday at Newcastle because we don't have a great, record up there. The thing with is, it's like you've said, play round pegs in round holes, okay? Musa Gineppo is not a defender. You cannot teach a winger or an attacking player to be a defender because it's not an inbuilt mechanism. To be a defender, you have to have a certain inbuilt mechanism. Attacking players don't have that mindset. Defending is a mindset as much as it is a physical attribute. To be able to be a good defender, you have to have intelligence. You have to be able to read the game. That's not something you do as an attacking player quite so much. Yes, you need to be able to pick a pass. You need to be able to find your teammates. You need to be able to make decisions. But defensively, you, you work as a defender. Probably, you've probably got your work cut out for you a lot more than you have as an attacker. For Gineppo, attacking is pretty straightforward. You get a ball, you run at somebody, you pass it to your teammate, or you have a shot. Defending, completely different ball game. And it's not something he's naturally... Adept at. See, normally, normally, Mark, right, I would be in agreement with you because I sit there and I think he's a winger. It's all about attacking going forward. But in the in the modern game, you have to do be able to do the defensive side of the game as well, right? Yeah. I, I mean, let me just say this to you. 
Shane Long, right? Um, you know, Danny Ings defends from the front, okay? Absolutely defends from the front, you know? He he is he is the first line of defence, if you like, and and he and he shows that you know you know maybe not in recent performances, but you know it wasn't wasn't that long ago, you know, and and pretty much since he's been at the club, he's been like that. So so I don't really accept that in the, in the modern game. Unfortunately, it just isn't about a winger being able to go forward. You have to be able to do the defensive side of the game as well. Yeah, I agree with that. My point of it would be if you're a naturally attacking-minded player, okay, Minamino is a good example. I'll get, we'll get to that later, but he's a good example. The guy we just signed from Liverpool loan, okay? Yeah. He's an attacking player, but he can actually defend. Now, I've seen but and he can defend, to be fair, but he's very good attacking-wise. Yeah. The problem is if you're going to play with a system that Ralph uses that seems to favour wing-backs, then you need wing-backs. You, you don't need a system where you've got an adapter midfielder or an attacking player to be a defender. You want to be having a system where you've got a defender that can develop into an attacking player. You've therefore got a wing-back. You've got somebody who's great at going forward, like Vokins and Valerie, both great at going forward, suspect defensively. But with a proper wing-back, you have somebody that can defend and get forward. Look at Ryan Bertram when he was in his absolute pomp at Saints, right on top of his game. He was a flying wing-back. He could defend, but he got forward really well. Yeah. You know, when was the last time we actually saw an overlap on the Saints wing involving a defender and an attacker? I can't but remember. The, but the thing, the thing, the thing is as well, Mark is right. And um, you, you know <clears throat> that I wasn't exactly jumping for joy when yeah. Matt Target left the building, right? I was, I wasn't because I sit there and I think he, he's actually came. He's one of the few players that have actually came through our academy properly. Unlike, you know, um, how it is at the minute where, you know, we take a lot of youngsters from the exit trials of other clubs and, and it does seem to be less and less that we're seeing that, you know, the youngsters from the local area make it. Um, but all, all, all I know we're going to wrap it up here, people, but all I want to say is is that, you know, the other thing that I'd say about Matt Target, and it's not happening at the minute, is that lad can cross a ball into the box. And and he was probably, before he left, he was probably the best crosser of the football at the football club. It's funny you should mention left-backs and crossing. Three Luke Shaw crosses Saints were on the receiving end of last night. Yeah. Three Luke Shaw crosses. Yeah. So there you go. That was our undoing last night, sadly. But there you go. That um, brought us to the end of that. So on to, we move on to the next game, which is coming up against Newcastle. Obviously, we're going to be covering that. But um, yeah, we look forward to that one. Hopefully, pick yourselves off off floor Saints and go again. It's all we can do, isn't it? Yeah, and definitely. Yeah. Slightly better result. I, fight, I fancy our chances a little bit more against Newcastle than I did against Man U. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, Saints club news, including transfer deals. So we'll be right back. It's Mark C and Mark H. Mark my word, they're here with everything in the Two Saints Show. Right, welcome back, everybody. So, Saints Club news, including transfer deals, and the transfer deals are up first, followed by the Saints Club news. Sims rejoins Doncaster. Vokins joins Sunderland on loan. Valerie makes Birmingham switch. Long joins Bournemouth on loan. And Saints Seal, Minamino loan deal. Following on from there, Saints Club news, John Mortimer and appreciation. Confirmed dates for Wolves doubleheader. Fe- February fixture update. 
PL2 report, West Ham 3, Saints 1, and concussion substitutes trial to start in February, Southampton FC. So, starting with Josh Sims going to Doncaster on loan. Um, probably what he needs, Mark, at the moment, isn't it? Um, yeah, because I don't, the, the, the problem with him, Mark, is even though I rate him, it seems to be that he's not part of Ralph's plans. So, uh, and especially given the amount of people that were missing at one stage, uh, you know, down the attacking attacking left hand side, um, obviously where which is where Josh favours most, um, and yet, you know, because he, he obviously came back in the January. We were we were having a crisis then in that position, and yet yep. Ralph still didn't think of deem him good enough to play him. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know that he said that he wasn't up to the standard. I'm not. I'm not sure what this means because obviously he's playing games for Doncaster. But if you remember, I I I think I read a, an article or we spoke about an article, yep. you know, a few pods ago where Hassan had said. That he wasn't up to the the standard of the of the Saints player. The thing and is, that, I get the players have to go out and loan to get experience. The problem is, when they're going to League One, is it really experience as such? I mean, yeah, okay, they're learning their trade, but they're not learning anything that's going to stand them in good stead in the Premier League because it's such a massive gulf between League One and the Premier League. And the under twenty three league, to be fair, Mark. I think the under twenty three league's weak. I don't think the under twenty three league is even as good as League One. To be fair, I think there's probably non-league teams that play better football, standard football, than under-23s do. So it's a difficult one, isn't it? Yeah, I just think the under-23 league is, you know, the thing is, is better that they reintroduce the reserve league. Yeah. Because at least they're coming up against seasoned professionals. Exactly. It's either on their way back from injury, because you would have had people that are on their way back from injury playing reserve game, whatever. You know, and and I I think it's much more of an experience. It's much more of a game match than what you see when you're watching the under twenty threes. Yeah. There's literally you literally have loads of space because there's no closing down going on, right? There's no physical stuff going on. You know, I mean, okay, we could argue that football's a non-contact sport now. But if you go if you go and watch an under twenty three game, or you know, or uh, in this case, of have the B game, I mean, there, there's absolutely no contact whatsoever, and and you know, and um, no, I just don't think it prepares you for when you know you make the step up to the first team squad, even you know. But uh, as it's I said. <laughs> the route that we've gone down and you know yeah. but I, I just don't think it makes footballers I, I honestly don't so also off the back of that Jake Vokins has joined Sunderland on loan and Jan Valerie's gone to Birmingham on loan and also Shane Long going to Bournemouth on loan so um, right. fair few players okay. out on loan what? Yeah. I mean Shane Long to be fair probably does need some football doesn't he just signed a new two year deal not really played a lot of minutes so a few minutes under his bat would be good for Shane won't it do you yeah. think that's the end of his time at Saints, though? Or do you think he's going to come back? I know he come, but he come. Well, he has to come back because he's still got a year to go in his contract. I mean, do you think they'll loan him out again, though? 
Yeah, all I'm going to say, I just want to go back to Josh Sims for a yep. minute, okay? And that was just to say, Mark, that, you know, what I didn't really get was if he isn't part of Ralph's plans, and I don't know how long, he's one of the ones who don't know how long they've yep. got left in the contract, why didn't they just look to try and sell him in the window? Or maybe they did, and there yep. was no takers. Maybe the whole QPR article was a load of nonsense. But you never know. Sure, surely you would have looked to sell him if he's not part of the plans rather than load him out. But anyway, coming back to the rest of them, Shane Long, right? Strangest thing ever. And, I, I, and you know, I've thought about this because we haven't spoke about this, Mark, right? right? But the thing is, is why did the club in the summer offer him, you know, he, he's on the same wage as he was on before. Yep. Right, yep. which is reported to be 50 grand a week. Yep. Okay. Now, we all knew in the summer that Shane Long wasn't going to be a first choice yep. striking option for Saints, right? Yep. You know, and he knew that, right? And yet the club didn't turn around and say to him, Shane, here's a year contract, here's 35,000, 40,000 pound a week. You know, because you've got to take a reduction on the strength that you're not going to be starting games, but you know we'll need you when the going's tough and we're winning one nil, and we need you to re- give us a bit of light relief, yeah. And you know we'll need you to defend because because that's you know there was a there was a remark on Facebook about Shane Long, and I I couldn't fault it when the bloke turned around and said. Shane Long is the best defensive striker yep. you could have, right? Well, I'm not as well, Mark. Actually, that last sums game, it up. Right? Last night's game was crying out for Shane Long in the fact that you could have put Shane Long up front on his own last night. You could have pulled everyone else out of those positions, those four positions. You could have thrown a wall up against Man United and you could have kept Shane Long up there, showing Shane Long up there on his own and he would have done a job last night. And that would have been far more effective than the tactic we went with. So last night's game, people will find this controversial. They probably won't agree with me. Last night's game was crying out for Shane Long. He would have given Saints an out, but he would have enabled them to get behind the ball. Yeah. And that's what he enabled But just going back to it, the the whole thing is, I don't understand why he was offered the contract. Me either. On the terms and the length. Because the thing is, is they would have known at the start of the season yep. that he wasn't going to be a starter. Okay? Well, the thing is, as well, Mark, if you're in a position where you've got a club and a manager saying, we've got no money, it makes even less sense. Especially yeah. when you're looking to get Danny Ings and Ryan Boucher and extend their stays. Yeah. Why would you go and pay somebody, like you said, the same money's on, extend the contract, somebody that, to be fair, you probably could have sold or not, whatever, but it's, it's, it, it didn't make a lot of sense. Especially when you're okay. in a position where the club is saying, we've got no money. The other thing is, is that by him going out alone, and I'm sure those reasons for why they decided to bring him, yeah. let me know, and we'll come on to him in a minute. But yeah. the other thing, Mark, is obviously, you know, that towards the end of the season, Dan Lanudu was on the scene anyway. Yeah. And surely they knew that they were going to be giving him greater exposure, yeah. possibly even more than Shane. In, in this season. So yep. I, I just, I question the fact that, you know, we're, we're, we're a club that's a void of any money 
and yet we're offering that contract. And then six months later, we're saying, Shane, we want to bring in somebody else. Not that I've got an issue. I'm, no. I'm just saying, we want to bring somebody else in. And and to facilitate that, you're going out on loan to Bournemouth. Yeah. You know? I mean, because the thing to me is, why offer him the two-year contract in the first place? Because yeah, that, that's more or like, less like saying, okay, we offered you it six months ago, but now we've decided that the chances of you actually playing for the club, even when you come back in the summer, are minimal. He's only <clears> duck <throat> for me. Well, the thing is as well, I mean... It's interesting as well, because obviously Obafemi was on the verge of getting loaned out, got injured. So he's obviously now back at the club recruitment, blah, blah, blah. So at some point, he's going to get fit again. Yeah. So he's going to be someone else that's going to be wanting to try and get into the team. Dan and Lundaloo's obviously there at the moment. So you've got yeah. two players there, two youngsters that want to try and get into the team. Have they possibly moved Shane aside to accommodate, as you said, in Lundaloo, or maybe even later on, further down the line, Obafemi as well? Because Shane Long does take up a striking berth. Oh, 100%. Um, you know, and there's only so many you can carry, and there's only so many you can put on the suspension, isn't there? But, but but I, just, I, just, I, like you, am very surprised that this has happened with Shane, and yeah. even more surprised and confused as to why they gave him that deal. Yeah. I just, uh, by the way, Mark, that isn't to say that, you know, I just, just want to state this. You know, I wish Josh Sims and Shane Long all the best. You know? Yep. Um, you know, as I, as I say... Shane was great for the first two years for me, personally, you know, and and unfortunately, you know, the change of coach and maybe change of approach even, but I I did think that when Ronald Koeman was here, we were definitely getting the best out of him in terms of as a striker, because he knew where the goal was, you know? If nothing else, look, Shane, you'll give you've given a lot of Saints fans one of the greatest memories we'll ever have yeah. of the semi final at Liverpool. And um, 15 16 season, you were prolific. You had a fantastic season 15 16, scored some yeah. absolute corkers. And I seem to remember a long range effort against Aston Villa at home in the sunshine that was an absolute stunner. So you've yeah. scored some very memorable goals. And um, I wish you all the best. I really do. So, and for anybody who gave him and his wife abuse on Twitter, hang your heads in shame. He didn't deserve that, and neither did his wife. Disgraceful behaviour. What are you talking about, Mark? I haven't seen him, that. him and his wife, sadly, him and his wife, sadly, were targeted with targets of abuse on Twitter from a minority of people, which I felt was very unnecessary. So, yeah, that's, that, that's, that has no place in football or any walk of life. Un- uncalled for. No. And to drag his wife into it, sorry, shame on you, wherever you are, because that's just wrong. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, wish you all the best, Shane. 100%. All the best, Shane. And. Hopefully, when you do come back in the summer, there is a future still for you at the football club. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, Vikings went to Sunderland and Valerie to Birmingham. Um, yeah, Valerie in the Championship, which is probably better than going to League One or League Two, but um, it's not going to be a walk in the park there, is it? The Championship's not exactly a fantastic league when uh, I play a lot of finesse football, so he's going to be up against it there. You know, you know what I'm going to say about this, Mark, don't you, right? Is I, I, the thing is, is Valerie has made it clear since the start of the window that irrespective of whether he was getting opportunities during the month, which he, which he had, uh, you know, he had one or two opportunities, didn't he? Yeah. And, and to be fair to him, he did a great job when he came on against Liverpool. Not, yeah. not so successful in the other ventures, but 
But having said all of that, he he needs this loan. I mean, I I know, of course, you question the fact that we're sending the fullbacks out. But in relation to him personally, I think he needs the loan because he needs to rebuild his football career away from the football club on loan. And I I do believe that. I genuinely do believe that. He he needs to knuckle down, have games of football, and hopefully in the summer he comes back to Saints and and he's at least half the way up the ladder from where he is at the minute because he's on the the bottom run at the moment. The thing is with Jan, the frustration is we've all seen how good he can be. Yeah. We've seen the talent that's there and the yeah. potential that's there. You know, and I think that's the frustration for a lot of fans. And that's why they're frustrated he's gone. Oh, I agree with you, 100%. 100%. But the thing is, is you, you know, when you when he was putting in the performances and he first burst on the scene and everybody was going, oh, what a great player, what a <clears> great <throat> player. Right. And, and now, obviously, there's that dip, right? And, you know, you get the indifference of the fans then. But I just sit there and I think to myself, you don't become a bad player overnight. The, you know, there's mitigating circumstances. You know, he's made a few bad choices, but there's mitigating circumstances. Let's just hope that by going out on loan, he recovers some of the form and then he comes back to his and we can get him back to where he was when he was sat enjoying his football and everything else, and he was playing well. Well, the thing is, Mark, he wouldn't be the first Saints player that's had a dip in form. And even the great Matt Letizier had a drop in form during his time at Saints. So remember that, everybody. Even Matt had a drop in form. It does happen. Yeah. um, Obviously, Jake Vaking's going to Sunderland. Same thing with Valerie. I think Um, he needs the football, doesn't he? Yeah. No, 100%. I mean, with Jake, with Jake Vokens, though, I didn't feel that Saints needed to send him out alone because no. we no. needed some sort of full-back cover. And yeah, may, maybe the fact that, you know, he didn't request it and Saints decided to give it to him, that one was a bit of a baffler. Whereas, obviously, with Jan, he'd already expressed that he wanted to go out because he. he didn't feel like he was going to get the, the yeah. game time here. Yeah, definitely. So moving on to a player that actually joined Saints right at the end of the window. This resulted in a deal sheet going in. Went through right at the very last hour. Literally gone midnight hour. It literally went in. Um, this actually finally went through about three minutes to one in the morning. I oh, know because I was daft enough to stay up at the end of the bloody transfer window <laughs> thinking Saints were going to sign someone. So daft enough to stay up and see it actually happen. But um yeah, I did have a bit of a chuckle at the fact that um, the photo looks very similar to the one where Stuart Armstrong signed on for Saints. But anyway, it's news that we signed Takumi Minamino from Liverpool on loan. Um, teammate of my Yoshida, no less. And um, I'm led to believe, Mark, I don't know if you knew this, but I'm led to believe he actually had a bit of a phone call with Maya ahead of agreeing to a loan move to Southampton, where well, Maya filled him in on about the club and the area he's moving to and stuff. So if you had anything to do with that, Maya, thank you very much. Once a saint, always a saint. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, that's but a good point. It's, I, not, it's a bit of a coup, isn't it? To be, to be honest with you, I was, I, you know, I was unaware of that. You think it's a bit of a coup. I have a different take on it, Mark. Um, 
obviously, I'm hopeful that he's going to be a loan signing that, that's hopefully going to bring more to the table than what we've currently got. Because um, the, the team need a shot in the arm at the minute. And hopefully, hopefully, he's going to provide the shot in the arm, you know, in terms of goals and winning games of football. But the other thing, very quickly before you come in, is I just want to say I just want to say this. I'm going to flip it round slightly. I'm going to say to you again. It's a little bit like the contract with Shane Long. So Minamino went to Liverpool 18 months ago, only 18 months ago, for a substantial fee, right? And all of you know, 18 months. And I'm sat there and I'm thinking to myself, they're loading him out. And I'm sitting there thinking, is that Liverpool saying he's not good enough? We've already decided that he's not good enough for us. Because 18 months and I'm, and I'm, to be honest, I was a little bit baffled. But if he can bring, you know, needed quality to the squad, a little bit of depth because, you know, he can play right midfield. He can play up in the attack. Yeah. He can play striker. But then I'm sat there and I'm thinking, hang on, we've already got one of those. His name's Theo Walcott. And even well, though he, you know, he started his second spell with an explosion, you know, he's kind of reverted back to type now. Yeah. You know? Well, so hopefully, hopefully it'll be the, the, the signing that we want and need. Well, put, to put a bit of meat on the bones, as you like to say, Mark, a phrase you like to use quite often. I've pulled yeah. this one out of the hat from nowhere. I'm not sure you were aware if this was out there. But anyway, Jurgen Klopp has spout out the truth for Takumi Minamono as long-term Liverpool planner merges. So <clears throat> what he's actually said is, so obviously Minamono left Liverpool on transfer deadline day to join Southampton on loan to the end of the season. And Klopp has explained why it's happened. So he's basically said, He's often opted to play Erdin Shakiri or Divock Origi when one of the fable front three needs rest. He explained his choice can simply come down to things such as Minimano's size and explained his hopes for the attacker's loan due at Southampton, which confirmed blah, blah, blah. Having options is the only reason you can give a player to another club, he said. We were active in the situation, though they asked, and we did not say there was no chance. We thought about it. Takumi's an incredible player, but we didn't give him enough chances, and that's the truth. That was for different reasons. Sometimes it was because of his size. That's because of our problems in defence. We're not tall enough. And then with Takumi on the pitch, we had to think how we could do that. So there you go. That's basically the truth of it. Um, defending set pieces, he says, is very important for Liverpool. Part of the reason they wouldn't include him. I would actually say, I don't think size has got a lot to do with it, Jürgen, to be fair. But there you go, Mark. Mark, Mark, that, that's just a regular endorsement to what I just said. He's the requirements at Liverpool. It's, you know, 18 months down the line, they're looking to offload somebody that designed for a fair amount of money. Yeah. You know? And and when he was saying about defensively, I'm, wor- I'm worried because basically he's saying, he's more or less saying he's an attacking player and that's it. So, you know, if we want them to do the dirty work, like I keep, you know, like I've just repeated in the pod about about Gineppo, obviously he, you know, Jürgen saying by his own, by what he's saying himself, that he won't do the defensive side of the game for you, but I mean, let's hope then that he brings enough of an attacking side of his game 
for to make the difference for us to win, start winning a few games again and start getting a few goals in the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the one thing he's quite good at is, um, for anybody who's ever seen him play, when he played for Salzburg, the one thing he was very good at was transitioning from defence to attack. So he was capable of putting in some decent challenges, but then getting forward very quickly and putting those telling balls into the final third, which is definitely something Saints have lacked. They have struggled in transitions during games, which is something he's fairly good at. And they have struggled to create chances, which is something else he seems to give. If, he, if, he makes, so if those two facets of his game work for us, it'll be a great loan signing. But the jury's out, isn't it? If he makes... No, the jury's not out. If he makes a difference, Mark, in the sense that we start winning games of football again, finding the back of the net, what, <clears> what's <throat> obviously we start getting people back that are out injured... But as long as he's making a telling contribution, then I welcome him with open arms at the minute. Give me both. Give me both. You know? So anyway, moving on. Um, confirmed dates for Wolves doubleheader. So a timing date has been confirmed for Southampton's Emirates FA Cup fifth round tie against Wolverhampton Wanderers next month. The trip to Monu will take place on Thursday, 11th of February. And as a result of that scheduling, Saints Premier League tie Wolves has been put back a day, meaning St Mary's will host Nuno Espirito Santo's side on Sunday, the 14th of February at midday. So Valentine's Day for any of you who don't have any plans. So there you go. So that's that one. Also, <clears throat> February fixture update. Details of two further Saints games in February have been confirmed. Premier League games at home to Wolves have now been moved to the 4th of February, as we just said. And a visit to Newcastle will remain on Saturday, 6th of February at 3pm, but will now be shown live on BT Sport. So there you go. So that's those two. So moving on from that, we also have Premier League 2 report, West Ham 3, Saints 1. Yep, Saints uh, under-23 is going down 3-1 to West Ham. So not great, Mark. And also, concussion substitutions trial to start in February. So we'll go to that one quickly. Premier League and Football Association today issued the following statement in relation to the start date for concussion substitutes. They've successfully applied to the International Football Association Board to introduce additional permanent concussion substitution trials across Premier League, Barclays FA Women's Super League and FA Women's Championship and Emirates FA Cup. Dates for the introduction of the trials include Premier League from the 6th of February 21. Barclays FA Women's Super League and FA Women's Championship from the 6th of February 21 and the Emirates FA Cup from the 5th round, 9th to 11th of February 2021. And obviously, player welfare is the priority. The protocols will allow a maximum of two concussion substitutes to be used per team with the opposition side able to use the equivalent, equivalent number. So, long overdue, and I'm glad they've done that. I, I'm only echoing... I mean, I'm not going to say anything on it, mate, because I only echo those thoughts. Yep. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about player welfare. Absolutely. And Absolutely. rugby's had a bridge as now, and, you know, we knew it was coming. We thought it was going to be, you know, as from the start of next season, but thankfully they've decided to move it forward. So moving on to the sad news that John Mortimer, former Southampton Football Club president, who's actually died at the age of 86. John Mortimer actually came to the doubt as the board's radical remedy to the difficulties the team was having in their second season in the top flight. At a special Sunday meeting on February 25th, 1968, the directors decided that 49-year-old manager Ted Bates, who brought the Saints from third division to the first, needed to be relieved of some of the pressures upon him. They would advertise for an assistant manager coach who would take charge of the coaching, training and discipline of the players. The job sounded attractive enough to tempt a strong field, including even Jimmy Schooler, ex-Pompey in Scotland, who was in his fourth season as manager of Cardiff City, then enjoying a run in the European Cup on his cup. 
The board's unanimous choice was 33-year-old John Mortimer. Farnborough-born John could recall crossing Hampshire as a teenager to watch the Saints in their doom run-in of 1949. His playing career, however, took him eastward. As an amateur at Woking, he became a school teacher and as a professional at Chelsea, uh, then played as a professional at Chelsea before a swan song at QPR. So, during the course of 279 games as Chelsea's centre-half, they won promotion from the second division in 1963 and League Cup in 1965. So, what the directors expected of Mortimer was not welcomed by the dressing room. In interviews 30 to 40 years later, for my biographies of Bates and Terry Payne, players from the 1968 team queued up to justify their opposition to the board's tripartite job description. Um, yeah, not a lot of people would agree with it, Mark, but it turned out to be quite an inspired decision, and um, he went on to have a very successful career with Saints, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I mean, what a coach, mate. Um, and, and the thing is, is like, you know, I'm sure Laurie would owe a lot of his success to the fact that John Mortimer was there in the background, took a lot of the coaching sessions, you know, so we're talking from the late 60s when Ted Bates was in charge through, through you know, Laurie Max reigned as manager, and even up until the early 90s. I mean, I, I read that he actually had a spell where he was in charge of Saints. He did, yeah, he was actually caretaker manager of Saints in 1994. Yeah, yeah early 90s. So, surprised as well because he wasn't actually, he actually succeeded Ted Bates at the club as the president in 2003. And the only reason he left the post is because that post was actually abolished by Nicola Cortese. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the sad thing about it. Yeah, John was quite hurt by that. But all I would say, Mark, is, is you know, we, we should remember him because his, his, his contribution, although he was in the background, so to speak, but his contribution on the coaching side of coaching the players and everything else you know, and I'm making sure that Southampton as a football club arrived on the map in terms of playing in the top division and stuff like that there. You know, okay, he might have been quietly spoken and kind of in the background, but he was always taking the coaching play, coaching sessions on the training pitch. And his, his contribution to Southampton Football Club should never be underestimated. Never be underestimated. I mean, it's huge. It's huge as well. Despite the fact that he was hurt by the dismissal, he took it with dignity. And he and his wife, Mary, actually became season ticket holders. So there you go. He took it with dignity and continued to follow the club. And after living for a few years with Alzheimer's, he actually went into a care home 18 months ago. He actually survived COVID-19 last year, but then succumbed to uh, a build-up of illnesses eventually, which is a a very sad demise. So um, it is. But Best wish I, to I, all of his family. Yeah, I, I, all I can do is echo what you're what you're saying there, Mark. And and all I want to say is is you know his contribution, as I said, to the, the the football club, you know, should always be remembered. And it, it was very very sad when I read it. I mean, absolutely, yeah, me I want to read. It was it is truly sad, but. Our, our deepest commiserations to everyone that knew John and all his family. Um, John Henry Mortimer, rest in peace. 23rd of September 1934 to the 26th of January 2021. Enjoy your, enjoy your sleep, John. Give me a minute for a bit of a moment myself there, Mark. Right, anyway. 
So the Premier League two report is the very last thing to come out of all these all this session that we're doing at the moment, and it was West Ham three Saints one. So more bad news for the under twenty threes, Mark. It's just, I mean, they've had all that time off because, yeah, I don't know whether you know, but they were actually meant to play West Ham on the fifteenth of December, but it got called off because yeah. of COVID and everything else, and it, you know, it was. I mean, they've had. They've had a time off. Obviously, I'm assuming that some of them may have gone back to their families over Christmas and stuff like that. I'm not not altogether sure, but it just seems like Mark normal service resumed, and I, for one, don't really want to talk about you know the B team at the minute because yep. you know my my. my you know, I've, I've spoken about my feelings in regards to the B team off off sort of, you know, um, vocalising it on here. Yeah. And people know exactly where I am with the B team at the minute because I've said it often enough. Um, and and the most worrying thing is, is the B team's all about producing, you know, one or two players for for the first team squad and we're a long way off that at the minute for me but there you go no definitely i totally agree with you yeah it's definitely um a very long way away so that brings us to the end of the saints club news section of today's show so we're going to take a very short break and coming up in the second half of the two saints show today for you we've got other football news including the major transfer deals two saints corner chat the les reed interview Two Saints preview of Newcastle versus Saints and Wolves versus Saints in the FA Cup fifth round. We'll be right back. Fiesta 95 FM, the Two Saints show. Right, welcome back, everybody. So, other football news, and we'll start with transfer deals. Joshua King, Everton has signed Norway striker from Bournemouth. Everton has signed striker Joshua King from Championship side Bournemouth on a deal until the end of the season for an undisclosed fee that's on a six-month contract. Fulham transfer news, Josh Meyer has joined on loan from Bordeaux. Cottagers have the option to make the deal for the 22-year-old permanent at the end of the campaign. Liverpool transfer news. Ozan Kabak has joined on loan as Ben Davies signs from Preston. Liverpool completed a loan deal for Schalke's Turkey central defender Ozan Kabak. Preston North End's Ben Davies signed for 2 million. And I believe from what I was reading myself, Mark, that the total fee combined for both of them works out to about £3 million. So roughly a million quid for the other one, I believe. So I have to, I have to say, Mark, that yep. the three million quid that you're talking about. The Turkish lad that signed, he signed on loan. Yeah. It was a loan deal for a million pounds, right? And apparently Liverpool have the paperwork for, if it turns out to be a success, they can then sign him for 18 million quid at the end of the season. So moving on. West Brom, Galatasaray striker Umbai Diane joins on loan for the rest of the season. So that's West Brom, Galatasaray striker Umbai Diane joins on loan for the rest of the season. Um, again, no fee there because obviously being loans, they don't tend to list the fees. OK, Yukozlu and Ainsley Maitland-Niles sign on loan. So West Brom have signed Cato Vigo midfielder OK, Yukozlu and Arsenal utility player Ainsley Maitland-Niles on loan for the rest of the season. Turkey midfielder, 26 years old, has 29 caps and spent three years with Traps on Sport before moving to Spain. Maitland-Niles, obviously, five England caps, Albion's fifth sign in the window. Moving on from there. Uh, Jesse Lingard, West Ham signed Man United midfielder on loan after Saeed Ben-Rama deal, ben deal was made permanent. 
Damari Gray, buy a Leverkusen sign winger from Leicester City for an undisclosed fee. Over to Mark on this one, because I know Mark wants to speak about Damari Gray. Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, this is just something that was frustrating in the sense that, like Ainsley Nathan Miles, he was on the radar of Southampton Football Club. Unlike Nathan Niles, they, you know, there was no talks with Damari Gray because we couldn't afford the £1.8 million, pounds, £2 million quid if you, if you want to split ours, basically that you would have needed the, the, the sign-up and obviously signed for Bar, Bar Leverkusen. So um, disappointing, yes, but I understand in the position that we're in and there's no investment. It's one that slipped through the net again. Certainly did. Yeah, certainly did. Um, and that's sad news, actually, for, for Saints in the fact that that obviously didn't go through. Um, and obviously Saints entered the window, as we all know, without any full-backs. But they did sign Minamino from Liverpool. So that was a bit of a strange one. And I'm led to believe, Mark, that actually came off the back of the fact that Saints actually inquired about the full-back, Nico Williams. We're told, yeah. no, he's not available. But we're made aware that Minamino was yeah, that was a strange one, I have to say. I, I read that. Um, and the other thing is, is the, I know you touched on it, but I just want to say about the Nathan Niles situation. I mean, how is it that the two clubs agree they can talk Turkey? Nathan Niles wants to come, Ainsley wants to come here. Yep. And, you know... So they're all sat down to talk and then they find that because Arsenal are paying them so much money, their models apart on, and I'm assuming it's this, because it can't be that all of a sudden he's ripped up a contract with Arsenal. Yeah. So how, how you know, we didn't get to the point where before we speak to the player or the agent, how much money is he on? Which is, you know, I'm sorry, even before you get in the room to talk turkey, you know, yeah. what what happened there? But apparently, yeah, you've got no money. Apparently, I don't know how it worked, but apparently they went into discussions only to find that he was on way too much money and we couldn't afford him way too much. The best part of it was, I'm led to believe that basically, Ainsley Mate and Niles was like, uh, no, I want to play left midfield. Saints like, no, we want you to play left back. And he's like, well, I'm not doing it. And at that point, Saints like, well, off you go then. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, the, thing, the thing is, is it also shows, you know, that when you're in a position like West Brom, right, you will row the boat out. Oh, 100%. To accommodate yep. players, you know, because you, you want to give yourself a fight, fighting chance. There isn't a problem with that. But yeah. As I say, that that side of those things sort of disappointed in this window, but can't do anything about it, Mark. We're, as I keep saying, we're in a hand-to-mouth situation, yeah. you know? So, moving on to the next story. Two very well-known footballing families, so to speak, names-wise. So, this is two youngsters who've now just signed deals. So, Mitchell Burkamp, son of Ajax, Arsenal and Netherlands striker Dennis, put pen to paper on a six-month contract with Watford's under-23s less than 24 hours after Maurizio, or Maurizio, not about the same way as his father, Maurizio Pochettino um, actually put pen to paper on a deal that took him to Watford. Attacking midfield, which is Mitchell Burkamp is, and obviously Maurizio Pochettino's son. And obviously he was at Tottenham when his dad was there. So, yes. uh, 
he hasn't followed his dad to PSG, unfortunately for him. But he's um, got himself another deal. You know that I like to pick up on unusual or quirky stories or things that are slightly off the wall. And obviously I've seen this and obviously with the Saints connection, I thought we've got to, we've got to cover this. But um, it'll be interesting to see how both of them go. I mean, obviously, from what I understand, Dennis is slightly old. Dennis's son slightly older. Yeah, he's 22. Yeah. So... You know, he's he's probably at a crossroads, to be fair. You know, this is six months. He's got six months to try and stake a claim of a longer contract. I think with um, Pochettino's son, he's, he's younger. And like you said, he came through the Tottenham Academy. So hopefully there's much more of a chance of him developing a food, you know, you would imagine because because of the age that Dennis's son is, you know, this is sort of last chance loon. Whereas with Pochettino's son, you would sort of think, well, he's still got a few years to sort of see if he can make the leap forward. Yeah, definitely. Right, so that takes us on to other football news and these relate to just general football stories, not obviously transfers. Manchester United's Marcus Rashford racially abused on social media. Alexander Yankovic, Southampton youngster, subject of racist abuse following the sending off against Man United. So, not great there. Also, um, sorry, bear with me. The Duke of Cambridge Football Association president calls for racist abuse of footballers to stop. Certainly something me and Mark Hartley agree with. Can't be happening. Gareth Southgate, England manager to take part in dementia study. Uh, Steve Cottrell, Shrewsbury Town boss, remains in hospital with coronavirus, unfortunately. Moving on from there. And COVID-19, Premier League manager Sean Dice says footballers should be fast-tracked for vaccines. No, sorry, Sean, don't agree with you. Anyway, moving back to the very first story, um, relating to, obviously, Marcus Rashford, racially abused on social media, Alexander Yankovic, Saint, similar issue, Mark, and the Duke of Cambridge calling for it all to stop. Yep, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the thing is, is this week has been horrendous, mate. We've had... We've had other Manchester United players, Anthony Martial and Axel. I can't think what his surname is, but so we've had three Man United players. We've had a we've had a West Brom player as well. Oh yep. And we've had and we've had the Chelsea right back Reese Reese James. Yep. Um, and they've all been racially abused this week alongside. Our, our Saints midfielder Alex Jankovic Alex Jankovic who obviously got sent off I don't care what the circumstances not me either at all no. uh, it's not acceptable no it isn't we'll keep going on we'll keep highlighting the programme until people get the message yeah, sorry if you're getting bored of it people but this stays in the programme until it goes away but, um, and the thing the thing is 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 it's not just you know you know, we don't want these people in football. We, you know, I, I don't want these people to be behaving like that in a society, yep. you know, because I've got to be honest, Mark, being a disabled man, it's about time everybody was treated with equal, you know, equal on an equal footing. You know, and it's there's and, there's one word for racist abuse, and it's ugly because that's what it is. And there's no other word for it. Well, not anything we can broadcast anyway. Uh, all, all I'm saying is, is no human being, yep, right, irrespective of skin color, whatever it is, 
should be should be treated in that way. Right. You know, no abuse whatsoever. And right. you know, when it comes to Prince William, I, I totally agree with him. You know, yeah. um, I, the only thing I would say is is that social media needs to realise that it has a social it has a social responsibility, right, to help these people. And, and basically, you know, change the rules. I mean, I don't know how it works because I, you know, you know, I'm a bit of a technophobe. I'm not. I'm not hiding from that. So I don't know how these things work. But these people either need need to be unidentified, you know. And we're going to touch on this next week because it seemed today that yep. Ian Wright. Uh, an Irish lad, Patrick yep. O'Brien, was abused and named Ian Wright online, and all they did was give him probation. Yeah, he's not going to get charged for You know, the, yep. it just goes to even show how far the courts are out of touch. The oh, it's, it's, it's literally, there's your little slap on the wrist. Very naughty boy, don't do it again. Not good enough. Yeah. And uh, what, what's he learning from that? Yeah, absolutely you nothing. I mean, I mean, one of the things that I've always advocated was education, but now I'm even yeah. thinking that that doesn't work. But, but at you. least, at least send them on some sort of re-education course so he can learn. I mean, I just think probation. Do you know what? That's nothing. They did boot camp in America, right? So they go really extreme with punishments and stuff in America to try and get people to learn from things, right? Send these people that are doing it on a course and put them on a receiving end of it so they know how it feels. Because they might actually learn something then. They might actually realise how much it impacts on other people. Because that seems to be the only way of dealing with it, really. Shock, shock, shock therapy. Probably the only way of dealing with it, I think. Oh, 100%. 100%. Anyway, moving on to um, news relating to Shrewsbury Town Manager Steve Cottrell. He remains in hospital with coronavirus, but continues to pick the team. He went into hospital on the 15th of January and spent time in intensive care, but since been recovering um, in his advance. In his absence, Wilbraham and David Longwell have overseen defeats at Southampton and Sunderland. They said he had a bit of a bad week, to be honest again. Keeps having setbacks with little things. When he first took the job, he used up a lot of his immunity and strength. He didn't take a day off, and he's been hit really hard with the virus. However, he continues to improve. So that's good news, Mark. And we wish him a speedy recovery, Steve. Yeah, we do, mate. We do. The thing is, is like... If you look at the time that he spent in hospital, it does seem that it's kind of been... You know, he's been on the road to recovery and then he's had a setback. So, yeah. you know, all I want to say is, you know, all the best for your recovery, Steve. And, you know, and that goes out from both of us in the two same show. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, Sean Dodge believes that uh, footballers should be fast-tracked for vaccines. Um, I don't think I actually agree with this. I've got to be honest. I think there are other people that are far more needing of a vaccine than a professional sports person. All I'm going to say is, is it just goes to show that football, foot, you know, footballers, managers, whatever it will be within that football bubble, they live in that bubble because Sean Dyche, what are you talking about for a kickoff? I mean, if a player wants a vaccine that much, why doesn't he go and pay for it out of his own pocket? That's just crazy. I mean, but, crazy. I, but I understand, I understand, you know, everybody has the right to the vaccine. Yeah, but definitely. unfortunately, in this instance, mate, you just wait your turn like everybody yeah. else. I, I, You know, 
There's no special circumstances but, here in regards to footballers. The thing is, if there are people that have neurological conditions that are classed as vulnerable and people that have been shielding, they should be on the list way, way, way before professional footballers. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Professional footballers aren't walking the street on a daily basis or going to work like in a regular environment. It's a completely different setup for them. Yeah. They've got so much testing, etc., going on that most people don't even have access to. I raised it as well, Mark, because the thing is, is Sean Dyche, I, I like him, okay, because he's at an unfashionable club, Burnley. Yeah. It's yeah. a little bit, it's a bit, a little bit like us at the minute, right? Because finance, because of things financially at our football club, you know, Ralph swimming against the tide with yeah. with the people that are currently running the club. Yeah. You know? And I look at Burnley and I think to myself, every year he does a brilliant job. I don't, I don't ever remember having an issue with him before this comment by him. And I just thought to myself, you know, Sean, you're so out of touch with people in this country, even by saying something like that. That's probably why he doesn't make statements very often, Mark, to be yeah. fair. But the, but the thing is, is like... I've, I've always liked him as a manager because I've always thought he, he's honest, you know. I mean, they lost recently there to Chelsea this week, right? And he, you know, he, he blatantly just turned around and said, you know, the better team won of no complaints, right? And you don't always get that from managers. They're always trying to put a slant on stuff and things right. like that. And I always think it is his take on things is pretty honest, right? I know... You know, he has started started joining all the managers in the Premier League this season in moaning. And in fact, Ralph's probably the only one that doesn't in moaning about penalty decisions that yeah. have gone against them. You know, and, and I just think that's that's the culture of the Premier League at the minute. It's not necessarily a yeah. trade of Sean Dyches. So yeah. when I read this report, I just thought to myself. Well, my my opinion there, Sean, has, has changed of you completely because I've never heard you come out with something like this and it just shows how out of touch you are with the general public in the country. Absolutely right. Yeah, I agree with that. So we're going to take a short break and when we come back, we'll be doing Two Saints Corner Chat. Yeah, it is back and it is the Les Reed interview. So we'll be right back after this little break. It's Mark C and Mark H. Mark my word, they're here with everything in the Two Saints show. Right, welcome back, everybody. So, Two Saints Corner Chat, and this is about the Les Reed interview. I personally don't have an awful lot to say about the Les Reed interview, and I'll tell you why, everybody. And I know it's upset a few people at the time that were at the forum I was at. I made the mistake of asking Les Reed a question at the fans' forum a while ago when he was at the club, and he proceeded to waffle on for 20 minutes, didn't actually answer the question I asked him, and wasted 20 minutes of my life I'm never going to get back ever again. So... This interview that he did, um, for me, is about as much waffle as the 20 minutes of my life he wasted that I'll never get back. Cheers, Les. So, over to you, Mark. And this was an interview Les Reed gave about Cortese, Cumin, the good times, where it went wrong, sacking Prowl, recruitment record, accepting responsibility, fans' anger, working for the FA, his new venture, and lots more. Unfortunately, he didn't include the 20 minutes of my life that he wasted. But anyway, I, over to you, Mark. So, I, I, I mean, people have different views on it. But basically, for me, Les Reed was appointed for the oversee the academy in the first instance, yeah. right? Um, 
uh, when Cortese decided to bring him to the football club from uh, Bishop Stalford, where he was the assistant manager at the time, right? So he was for he was, you know, don't get me wrong, he had appointments in the FA, he even had appointments in the Irish FA, you know, he had a stint, a very unsuccessful stint as the Charlton manager. And obviously, he, he, he was responsible for the Charlton Academy before he came became their manager. Um, and obviously, from there, he was on the down escalator because we, we basically plucked him from, from Bishop Stalford. Um, and all I would say, Mark, is, you know, I, I read the interview only because you and, you and Hugh insisted that it did for the purposes of this show. Uh, I have to be honest, Mark, I didn't actually have any intention of reading the article. And then Hugh got hold of me and said, oh, can you ever read this? Because I want you to include it on the show because I you know, think it'd be good. And I was like, oh, right, okay. The, the so I ended up reading it. And, the difficulty for me was... And I regret I, that. <laughs> I was never a big fan. For for me, in relation to Les Reed, and I find it ironic because the, the one thing that he touches on the most was that period when Ronald Koeman was in charge, right? And probably the best ever thing he did for the for 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 me personally and probably for the football club was the point Ronald Koeman. Yep, but then all, ultimately ultimately we lost him because we were trying to push him to sign a new contract. He didn't want to sign a new contract. Um, he was happy to see out his contract. But obviously, I'm you know I'm not sure about it. But I I always felt there was a bit of a falling out there before he went to Everton anyway, because there was a major disagreement about the quality and how how often do we discuss this? The quality of the standard of the youth player or the under twenty three players that were coming through to the first team, and yeah, he, he, before. he was proved right. Uh, I mean. Here, here's something I will say is, is like, you know, obviously Les Reed had a different opinion on that. He thought that everybody in the academy at the time was was good enough, obviously, to come into the first team. Right? I'm sorry, but R- Ralph was proved right. And the ones that he did pick out were the ones that progressed. Well, ironically, Marshall for money. Ironically, if you remember, it was, it was the topic of the academy that I actually asked Les Reed about, where he proceeded to waffle on for 20 minutes and waste my time. So, yeah, I know all about that. And sadly, the legacy of the academy under Les Reed, we're still freaking suffering from, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the other, the other thing, the other thing that I would say as well, Mark, is that, you know, he talks about the period under Puel and, and everything else. And I think that when, when Puel, when he was overseeing Puel, you know, he, he did bring in some decent signings. But then at, at the same token, during that period, you know, we brought in Sophie and Buffel. And that, I mean, OK, he knuckled down in the last season. But you've got to say that it was a period of time in his career where it was unfulfilled as a Saints player. And and then you move on to the 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 Pellegrino, you know, period. And basically nearly every player 
that was signed during that period was a failure. We had Wesley Hoyt come in. We had Mario Lamina come in. You know, and all these players in in the longer ter- in the long term, and even in the short term, when we're talking about Wesley Hoyt, were were failures. And then we got to we got to the 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 next window, the next transfer window under Pellegrino, and and basically we were that desperate, and Les had run out of options, and we went to him and said. Uh, who do you who do you think we should sign as a striker? Now he had, he was asked the que- Pellegrino was asked the question at the start of the season, and he said, "No, I'm okay for strikers." And because because the club was so desperate, they went to him and said, "Who should we sign?" And then we ended up signing Carrillo. So that that whole period was a disaster in recruitment terms. And then the thing is, is even though these players have developed. We had Mark Hughes, and this was his last period. And in that summer, we signed Elsa Nusi, right, who who hasn't turned out to be a success for us, right? But then, similarly, we signed Danny Ings, um, Vestergaard, and also Stuart Armstrong. The last three have turned out in the longer term to be successful for, for Saints, yeah, I mean, and, Elliot Nix uh, might have had a fantastic Champions League game against Man City, but you don't recruit a player just based on that. We'll have, we'll have to be grateful. We'll have to be grateful that in the longer term, I suppose, they did turn out to be successful. But the, the issue that I had was, before he left the building, he made sure that he spent all the money that we had. So effectively, by the time he left the building... Saints were potless. Yeah, and that's the problem. And the problem is we're still playing the price of that legacy now. Yeah. And I think Mark, that probably brings us really nicely to the end of two Saints Corner Chat because I think we've wasted more than enough time over the years on Les Reef. And I'm not prepared to give the man any more of my life than the 20 minutes I'd already given him. Anyway, moving on from there. Right, we're going to take our last break. And when we come back, we'll do the two Saints preview of the upcoming fixture against Newcastle and the massive FA Cup fixture fifth round against Wolves. So we'll be right back. It's the Two Marks, CNH, on the Two Saints Show, Fiesta 95FM. So just quickly, over to Mark, just a little addition to the end of the last topic. Yeah, sorry. I just meant to, meant to mention that basically, you know, when Pellegrino was the manager, there, there was two players that season that did, you know, that did make some sort of difference and contribution. And that was uh, Gabby Adini. Sorry, how just forgot there for a minute. Gabby Adini and Bednarek. Yep. And obviously Absolutely. Bednarek's making a hell of a difference even now. So, so you know, but, but the legacy was, was that all the money was spent at the well and we're suffering from that now, you know, before he left the building. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah, and that wraps up 
obviously the last section which was the corner chat so moving on now two saints preview of newcastle versus saints so last time out against newcastle newcastle two saints one federico fernandez hit a late winner as the team came from behind to defeat saints two one um, and in the reverse fixture, Southampton 2, Newcastle nil. Shea Adams and Stuart Armstrong on target to Sane Saints for once, top of the Premier League the first time in their history. Wasn't the first time at the top of the table in the top flight because they actually did it in 1989 under Chris Nickel. So um, it wasn't the first time we'd ever top the table, but it was the first time in the Premier League. And we all enjoyed that four or five days that we were at top getting a nosebleed. <laughs> Seems like a very distant memory after last night, Mark. <laughs> so, obviously, Newcastle coming up. Um... They're not in great form, but we're quite depleted. Um, for me, and you, I mean, does it hinge on if Jan Bednarek manages to play? Because for me, I think it probably does. I think it does for me as well. Um, the the other thing as well, Mark, is it, you know, you you with it being Newcastle away, you wanted to be the key players because we don't have a great record travelling up there, um, and. Even if Bednarek plays, you know, it's a bonus for us. But I, I still think, even with their form the way it is, you know how we are of of old. And that still doesn't really change. You know, if, if a team's in bad form, we'll turn up and go, oh, let's roll over and have our tummies tickled. I mean, I'm, I really hope I'm wrong, but... The only result that I can see putting a positive look on it is a draw. Yep. You know? Um, and yeah, that's where I'm going. I, I reckon it has probably 1-1 one, one written all over it. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, I think you're both have much of a muchness, both teams, to be fair. Um, I mean, Newcastle at full strength for a, a threat to anybody, same as we are, but... I don't think either teams are really firing fully on all cylinders. Um, and the big threat for them is Callum Wilson, without doubt. Um, their biggest threat, I would say. And Danny Ingram. So you can't, you could find that both teams just catch each other out. So I'm going 2-2. Two, two. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, for me personally, Newcastle, you know, there was great store, and I do get it, in the victory that they had away at Everton, right? Yeah. And unexpected, but richly deserved, I would say. And then, and then they turn up, they've got a home game, and they turn up and they promptly lose it. You know, and you, you sort of sit there and you think, I mean, if we if we had a full-strength side, I would go there full of confidence and I'd be saying to you, it, you know, if Saints don't win this, obviously they all tra- suffer yeah. from travel sickness, sure. you know, or... Yeah. or they haven't done enough alter, you know, altitude training. Oh no, sorry, that's the that's the away supporter. Sorry, sorry, you know. But yeah, I think it's got one one written all over it. Yep, I'm going two two. You're going one all. So moving on from there. Last time out at Wolves, who were obviously playing in the cup. Um, bit of a difficult one, this one, to read, because obviously it's an FA Cup game, which is a one-off game. You know, the Cup's a good leveller. But last time out against Wolves, um, Theo Walcott scored his first goal in 15 years, and Pedro Neto earned, a host, earned the host a point. Um, yeah, it's, this is a tough one to call. I mean, Wolves aren't in great form, Mark, are they? But yeah. for me, it's, it's which key players come back for Saints, isn't it? It's going to be the tale of which players are fit. Because if players are fit for Saints and if you've got a fairly strong team, you probably fancy your chances of getting past Wolves. Although, 
we've learned to our cost in the past. We could have a great first half. Wolves would be better in the second. So it's an interesting one. Um, I've got a funny feeling Saints might just sneak a 1-0 in the cup. Right. I, I'm i slightly more resident, although I'm hoping that ya, ya, Yannick Vestergaard, I'm, I'm hearing that the club are earmarking him coming back for this fixture. So I, I hope there's an element of truth to that and obviously get a few numbers back. I think Saints are going to do their obvious thing and just prolong the agony for us, right? And I think it's got nil-nil written all over it and it'll be nil-nil after extra time and we go into penalties and I'm going to say that we're going to win it on penalties. Uh, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a torturous night, you know, night on the Thursday. But I'm going to say we're going to win it on penalty. Although I've got to say one one thing I did want to say was very strange kickoff time of half five. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, and the winning penalty Saints fans will be scored by Alexander Yankovic. Naughty, naughty. Bit of redemption. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, it, would, it would be nice, but the likelihood is is that it, you know people are going to be back. But I get the redemption thing definitely. It'd be nice, but anyway, hopefully we get a result and the Saints go marching on. So yeah, anyway, that brings us to the end of everything. So two two for me um, against Newcastle and one 0 in the cup against Wolves. So that's uh, goodbye from myself, Mark C today. Yeah, and it's goodbye from me, and don't forget it's one one for me. In the, in the league game against Newcastle and obviously I'm going to go with Saints to win a penalty shootout after extra time nil-nil in the FA Cup but win the shootout and just reminding you that obviously the Two Saints podcast will be out after the broadcast version of today's show so that'll be out very shortly and the ways to access the Two Saints podcast are these right so the only thing that's left for me to say is you can also contact us don't forget via our email address the Two Saints podcast show at outlook.com for any kind of feedback positive or negative any input or anything you'd like to see included in the show and my final word please join us again next week when the Two Saints go marching in again bye for now and I just want to say goodbye everybody look after each other keep well stay safe